Thank you so much, Iris, for that wonderful ministry and song. We were so blessed. Good morning, church. Are we good to go in Jesus' name? Amen. I believe my time is somewhat short, and uh, I still would like you to play just as I begin. It's good to be here once again. I've been having a phenomenal time uh, here at camp meeting. I'm sure you've been blessed by the different speakers. The morning manner this morning was out of this world. Oh, we were so blessed by the morning manner. The evening messages, the different speakers, the Aeolians choir, the different musicians. What a wonderful time we have been having. Today is uh, another day of revelation. I shared a bit of revelation yesterday and I seek to do that today to continue to make God real and to make God known. And today I want to speak into the context of faith but the flip side of what happens when God chooses not to answer. I want to talk about what life looks like when you see your financial world crashing around you and what do you do? And so I'd like to turn to a passage of scripture that I would like to use as the backdrop of this particular message. Found in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verses 36 to 40. And the Word of God, the Word of God tells us there in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 to 40, many were cruelly mocked and whipped, uh, put in chains and imprisoned. Others have been stoned to death, sword in half, killed by the sword. Others wore sheepskins and goatskins. They were poor and persecuted and mistreated. For them, the comforts of this world were not worth losing faith in God. They became refugees, wandered in deserts and mountains, making their homes in caves and in holes in the ground. What record of faith all these people have left? They held on in spite of everything, even though they did not receive all the things that God had promised. God had something better in mind, and he did not want to complete his plan for them apart from us. Amen. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on the subject, unshaken, unshaken. Let us pray. Father God, once again we have come and Lord, we desire a word from you. And so make your word plain. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
when I think of the children of God, when I think of ourselves as Christians, I cannot help but think about the book of Revelation chapter 14 and verses 12 that defines there that the, the, a definition that says, uh, here is the patience of the saints. Uh, here, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Uh, the text does not state that they're Seventh-day Adventists, but whoever the saints are, there are two important attributes that define them as saints. Uh, number one, they keep the commandments of God, uh, but the second one is what I'm really interested in, is that they have the faith of Jesus Christ. What do you say out there? Uh, this second uh, foundational principle that defines what is known as the remnant or this end time people is that they have the entire experience uh, and unshakable faith that will stand alone and will endure to the end. Uh, this faith, I suspect, my friends, as I read in Revelation, is a faith that cannot be shaken because it is as a result of having been shaken. Therefore, it is qualified as unshakable. Uh, today, however, I want to then reflect on three things that I would want you to leave this auditorium knowing. I want to reflect on why uh, we as Christians need to move from a contract faith, which is based upon the notion, I'll follow God if he treats me well and comes through for me to a faith and a relationship with God that can transcend physical, emotional, and mental hardships and hold on to God with an unshakable belief that he will hold on to you even when you don't know if you can hold on to him. I want to also examine why it is important in these last days that we develop an unshakable faith. I also want to look more deeply into understanding what does it mean to have the faith of Jesus. The reason I would like to examine these attributes, my friends, is simply over the short period of my life in trying to wrestle uh, as an individual, as a Christian young man, uh, almost 50, but as a Christian young man, uh, I, I want to examine this because I think many of us may have a false concept of faith. You see, faith is not simply uh, positive thinking. Uh, faith is not simply some sixth sense that Christians feel inside of themselves. And, and, and some may even hold the view that they, with faith, they feel everything will come out right in the end of their earthly situation. And that is not necessarily true. I would like to suggest this morning, my friends, that faith, in fact, has nothing to do with feelings, though faith affects feelings. At times, when everything goes well, faith 
and feelings are one. But when we face distress, faith and feelings tend to part company. Faith, as we will see it, my friends, is manifested through obedience that does not rely on how one feels. Now, why is it important for us to understand this in these last days? Uh, Fifth Testament is to the church, uh, page 81, uh, states the time is not far distant uh, when the test will be urged upon every soul, uh, the mark of the beast uh, will be urged upon us. And those, listen to me, those who have step by step uh, yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to derision insult, uh, threatened with imprisonment and death. The contest is between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. And in this time, the gold will be separated from the dross in the church. I like another statement that Aunt Ellen uh, put out to us. She said there in Fourth Testament, page 89, prosperity multiplies a mass of professors, but adversity purges them out of the church. I would like to suggest this morning, my friends, that as we move towards the end, a close and personal testing of one's faith will not decrease, but rather will intensify. It will be the straight testimony of the counsel of the true witness to the Laodicean church that produces the shaking where unpalatable truths will cause many to become offended. False and yet incredibly subtle doctrines will draw some away. Alarmingly, there will be, and we are witnessing it even today, there will be defections by church leaders and unsanctified ministers. And whilst the church appears to fall, it will stand. It will stand. The Lord, I would like to suggest, has faithful servants who in the shaking, testing time will be disclosed to view. And I pray that I will be one of those who will still be standing when that day comes. But to be standing when that day comes is determined by how you are standing in the daily issues of life. No chapter in Scripture deals with the subject of faith as eloquently as the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Its placement there is by no means coincidental. The primary purpose for the epistle to the Hebrews was to strengthen the faith of the first century Jewish believers who were facing trials and also tribulations. Uh, we as Christians today, reflecting on the trials of the early Christians, uh, will be also called upon to demonstrate the same enduring faith, especially 
especially, my friends, as the end approaches, because things are going to get more and more difficult. Uh, this chapter, as we read it, is often called the Hall of Faith, and central to the theme is the notion of an unshakable faith that is manifested through obedience. Uh, when you read chapter 11, you read that Abraham uh, or Abel demonstrated faith in an act of obedience by sacrificing uh, the lamb instead of the grain, and that act of obedience actually caused him his death. Uh, Enoch uh, there, according to verse 5, showed faith in God's promises by his obedience and was taken to heaven. Uh, Noah, uh, when warned of things to come, he believed what God said and prepared a building of a boat uh, as God had directed him to. Uh, Abraham, we read, as the father of the faithful, obeyed, leaving the comforts of his home in Ur uh, to live in tents. And even when tested to sacrifice his only son, when faced with two unavoidable commandments, knowing that it was wrong to kill, and yet knowing that God uh, expected him uh, to do this and knowing that he should love God over his son Isaac, he chose, my friends, to choose the higher law and obey God, trusting that God would raise his son from the dead because of his covenant promise. Uh, we see also, my friends, the faith of the parents of Moses, who when faced with the command to kill all the baby boys, uh, manifested their works of faith and were prepared to obey God rather than the king's command and were not afraid to hide their son uh, for three months. Uh, uh, Moses himself, when he was a grown man, uh, showed the same faith when he had a love for people more than a love for things and chose uh, to suffer persecution with God's people than to stay in the palace and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a few short years. He regarded, my friends, disgrace and scorn for the sake of Christ of more value than the treasures of Egypt. Daniel, we read, uh, the three Hebrew boys uh, and Daniel also, when faced with the choice of worshiping the king over God of heaven did not hesitate to consider the value of life and chose to obey God rather than the king's command. And God rewarded their faith by shutting the lion's mouth and protecting them from the blazing inferno. Now, if you note, for the most part, up until this point, there is a clear and tangible reward linked to faith that is manifested in obedience. Uh, I noticed there that Enoch and Moses uh, uh, benefited in their faith and were translated. I, I, I noticed that Noah and his family were saved from the flood and, and, and Daniel was saved from the lion's mouth and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fiery furnace. Uh, Abraham received his son of, of promise. There seems to be some tangible link uh, despite their struggle and distress. There were obvious rewards, uh, uh, but, but, but not that they were all expecting it. 
with the exception of, of Abraham and Noah. It seems, nevertheless, there was a tangible reward that was accorded to them. But then we come to this crowd in verse 36 that disturbs me. Many were cruelly mocked and whipped, put in chains and imprisoned. Others have been stoned to death, sword in half, killed by the sword. Others wore sheepskins and goatskins. They were poor and persecuted and mistreated. For them, the comforts of this world were not worth losing faith in God. They became refugees and wandered in deserts and mountains, making their homes in caves, in holes in the ground. What record of faith all these people have left. They held on, the Bible says, in spite of everything, even though they did not receive all the things that God had promised. It would seem to me, my friends, that there's another side of this faith story that would be useful for us to explore. Because it seems that those people in verse 36 onwards are commended even more than those who received in their lifetime the reward of their faith. They seem to have, my friends, an unshakable faith. They seem to be able to run the spiritual race whether they felt comfortable or painful, whether the much-anticipated reward was received or not. They seem to be able to run with an unshakable faith where their attitude towards God never altered according to their experiences or their circumstances. It seems to me, my friends, that they held on in spite of everything, even though they did not receive all the things that God had promised. And even when their feelings screamed out to quit and when sacrifice uh, was to cause them to lose, out and to request or to obey the request of God seemed unreasonable or fear, my friend, was going against the crowd they, that, that could prove fatal. They realized that irrespective of any of those circumstances, they would still run with an unshakable faith anyhow. Now, 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 many of us, I'd like to suggest, including myself at times, have somewhat of a contract faith. Uh, now, now, let me explain what I'm saying. Have you ever been in a situation where you are trusting in God because you're waiting for an outcome, and so you see uh, that, that, that if you wait, there should be a reward? Have you ever had in the back of your head, for what I'm going through, surely, God, uh, you'll come through for me? Anybody been in that place? And then you get to the end of that space, the time comes, God does not deliver, and you are disappointed with God. Has anybody ever been disappointed with God? Let me see the true believers in this place. Anybody been disappointed with God because he has not come through at a time you thought he would come through? 
Maybe, 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 maybe you're suffering and, and, and in need of healing, but God seems silent. Uh, uh, you tithe well and you, you're a vegetarian, but, but yet you get cancer. You, you give up that worldly man or worldly woman expecting a Christian man or woman uh, to come your way, but the years are passing and, and, and there's no tree in your face, but nobody seems to be coming your way. Uh, does somebody know what I'm talking about? Uh, you turn down a job uh, because of the Sabbath, because you know it's the right thing to do, but, but now no new job is coming your way. The funds are low, the debts are high, and they're coming for your house. And you ask the question, well, what is the reward for my faith? Uh, you sacrifice to send your children to Christian schools only to see them renounce the faith, or you become a Christian and suddenly you lose your friends and your respect from your boss, and suddenly God seems distant, and the question arises, what's this all about if I don't get a reward for my faith? Do I have a witness in this place? But there's a couple lessons that I want to bring to your attention. I believe, my friends, the faith of Jesus is where God wants us to move. He wants us to move from a contract faith that is motivated from a position of mutual reward, which is, I'll worship you as you reward me, or to a relationship that can transcend physical, emotional, and mental hardship, disappointment, and even the silence and hiddenness of God. A faith, my friends. That is not about our ability to hold on to God, but an unshakable faith in His ability to hold on to us because our love is not motivated from selfish reward, but rather by unconditional love. You see, my friends, I'd like to suggest it is easy to abide in the comfort and the blessings of God and not in the God who gives comfort when the earthly reward does not match our obedience to Him. This people in Hebrews chapter 11 held on in spite of everything even though they did not receive all the things God had promised. Now, why do we need to develop this unshakable faith? Why? If you turn to James chapter 1 and verses 2 to 4, James said, My brothers, when suffering and temptations come your way, uh, try to face them joyfully. You know that when your faith in God is tested and survives the test, it will be stronger than before. So hold on and let your faith, listen, let your faith be tested because as it survives and matures, your character will mature as well and you will become even more steadfast. 
Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 104, she says, Yet we should not lose courage when assailed by temptations. Often when placed in a trying situation, we doubt that the Spirit of God has been leading us. But it was the Spirit's leading that brought Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. When God brings us into trial, he has a purpose to accomplish for our good. What does the church say? Now, you've got to understand, what was Jesus' response to trial? I'm leading up to my short testimony. I'm going to share it with you in a minute. What, what was Jesus' response to trial when tempted to go it alone and use his power to provide food and means for himself? There in Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he answered the enemy as the enemy was tempted him. He said, it is written, man shall not what? Live by what? But what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of? Now, when Christ said this to the tempter, he was repeating the words that more than 1,400 years before, he himself had spoken to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, because there the Lord had said to them, the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jesus himself, who now gives these very same words to Israel, 1,400 years later, is faced with a scenario where his own words must be lived out in reality. In the wilderness... When all means of sustenance failed, God sent his people manna from heaven and su sufficient and consistent supply was given. Uh, this provision, my friends, was to teach them that whilst they trusted in God and walked in his ways, he would not forsake them. Now, Jesus himself practices the very same lesson that he taught Israel. He awaited God uh, and his time to bring relief. He was in the wilderness in obedience to God, and he would not obtain food by following the suggestions of Satan in the presence of the witnessing universe. Now, why am I sharing this? How many entrepreneurs are here? Let me just see. How many self-employed entrepreneurs are here? All right, there's a couple of entrepreneurs. Christian entrepreneurs are more likely to see their offices and factories as extensions of their beliefs. So the organization that I run is a holy Seventh-day Adventist-owned business. Whilst it is true that our head office is in Seattle, Washington, the owners are holy Seventh-day Adventists, of which I am one of the principal owners in South Africa and Botswana, with probably a staff complement of about 32 staff members. In 2007, Something significant challenged the whole world. It was the global crisis. Do you remember it? 
how can we forget it? Many of us may still be recovering from that. During that period, my organization was rocked to and fro. We lost millions of dollars under of the bottom line, shaved off our business in a matter of months. And we were facing terrible dilemmas. The dilemmas between what do we do with our staff as the business is downsizing in terms of revenue generation. Because typically as most businesses, when the business begins to downsize, who gets let go? The staff. Not the boss, the staff. Does that make sense? But as Christians, we came together and we asked the question, what do we do? We now had creditors after us. We now had this and that, debts to pay. The normal uh, uh, the way the business is run, you've got to pay out for services rendered. And now the staff needed to be paid and the salespeople needed to be paid and the taxman needed to be paid and the VAT needs to be paid. And what we began to see was an accumulation on top of that, my partner, one of my partners died tragically in an accident, in a biking accident, and he had failed to insure his life. And because he had failed to insure his life, the shares that were owned to him were now owed by the company to his estate, which ran into millions, now com compounding our debt problem. And here becomes the challenge, my friends. When you're faced with all of these competing realities, what do you do? You get on your knees and you pray, and you pray, but it's making no difference. And so we make a decision. We go to the Word of God and say, what should we do? And we realize there's a hierarchy of behavior that we need to establish irrespective of how it's going to affect us. We realize four things. We must love God more than people. Somebody say amen. Uh, the second thing, we, love, we must love people more than things. Uh, the third thing was love others more than Self, and the final one was obey God over government and authority. Let me say that again. Number one, love God more than people. Number two, love people more than things. Number three, love others more than self. Number four, obey God over government and authority if it comes into direct contrast and conflict. My friends, between 2007 and 2012, so this is a very recent testimony. I went through financial crises of note because the rule that we put in place is that we would pay our people before we paid ourselves and that we would return to God before we could look after ourselves, which would mean that we paid our people, did not pay ourselves, could not pay the taxman, which means your bond or your mortgage is now going to be in trouble. Does that make sense? Your car, you're not going to be able to pay. And we made a vow that our children will go through school debt-free. Our children will not, under any circumstances, start their life out in debt because it is unbiblical. 
So we brought this before the Lord, my friends. But the problem was the debt was accumulating. We were paying our people, not paying ourselves, uh, paying the, the creditors where we could. The tax man was hardly being paid. I'm putting this before you. And so that was accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. We prayed and we fasted, fasted and prayed. And imagine coming home each month to your family and saying, you paid your staff, but you you haven't paid yourself and they are calling and they are calling but my friends I want to demonstrate to you that we must demonstrate unshakable faith irrespective of the circumstances we find ourselves in we must still be able to say I praise you Jesus we must still be able to say hallelujah God you're giving me life and health and breath and strength to go out every day and make something happen you must still be able to call your family and say I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread you must be able to go and look back at where God has led you from and say if the Lord delivered me there and the Lord delivered me here surely he will deliver me but just in case you may think like Job the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away but I declare that his name will still be blessed that's the kind of attitude you need to have and so people would come to our homes and we'd feed them as if we had everything uh, it did not matter because we said to ourselves what God gave us he has the right to take it away if he chooses if I gotta go back to the street and if it's God's will then so be it but I know one thing's for sure I'm gonna make it to the kingdom because I'd rather let go of this uh, than lose the kingdom of God uh, does somebody know what I'm talking about I remember the tax man came to my office in 2011, just under, uh, how much would it have been? Just under a million dollars worth of, of, of tax. And he came to the office. He said, we are liquidating you. I said, well, do what you must. And I remember my friends, <laughs> I got on my knees and I said, Lord, this is it. This is your time. If it's to be, it's up to you because I know the best I can do is to do the daily duty. And let me share with you something, my friends. In those moments, the devil tempts you like you can't believe. Sabbath comes, you know, and, and you got that tithe, man. And, and you know the devil is saying, oh, you know you, you know you got to put some food on the table. You know you got to do this. You know you got to do that. What could this do? But, but we had made a, a, an agreement because between all of us, myself and Wendell and Capano and Sam Alexander and myself, we made a pact and we said we will not falter from returning our tithe and making sure that God gets between 5 to 10% of the gross of that that offering we will not stop in giving to the poor we will not stop and making sure our people are taken care of and if God be God then he will reward and if he chooses not to then we will see what to do my friends and the tax man comes in like the devil himself with all of his poise and his pomp and his arrogance and says I'm gonna shut you down but I thank God my friends that when you are down when you're finished when there's nothing else to do when you can't even look up but you just got 
to say, Lord, my faith looks up to thee, and that's as far as I can go, that you know that God may, and he may choose not to do something. I remember we walked around that office one Sunday, and we anointed everything, and we said, Lord, we leave ourselves in your hands. I leave my children in your hands. I leave my wife in your hands. I leave my staff in your hands. I leave their families in your hands, because, Lord, you know they need to eat, because for everyone that is paid, there's another six people that are being fed that day. Lord, it is in your hands. And again, the tax man came and he looked at us and said, it's all over. Our auditors said, it's over. Everybody said, it's over. But God did not say it was over. Come on, somebody. God did not say it was over. He waited. He watched. He waited until everything went south. And then, boom. You know something about God? He, when he steps in, no one can deny it was him. He waits. He waits. He waits. Oh, give me a moment. He waits. He watches. He waits. He watches. It's a 360-degree panoramic view of all the different pieces that he's seeking to put in place, and you're just one small coil in the whole arrangement of his divine plan that when he steps in, and when he steps in, nobody but nobody can declare other than it was a miracle by divine order. And let me tell you, my friends, at that time, one of our clients, (laughs) one of our clients, from years ago, came back and said, we have been looking for you, and we need you to do this pilot. And we did the pilot, and we won a contract for 25 million. (laughs) The, The tax man came to the office and said, He said, we're coming. I said, you don't need to come. How much do you need again? Oh, no problem. Here it is. (laughs) Oh, you're coming? Not a problem. Here it is. Oh, who are you? Oh, here it is. Hallelujah. Feed the people. Feed the families. It's not about you. It's about God. But he's saying, are you willing to go through it? Can you still praise me? Are you prepared to go down the whole road? And I'm simply trying to share with you, my friends, that the reason God is wanting us to have unshakable faith is because the time is coming where this issue of money, is going to mess up a lot of us. It's going to mess up a lot of us because in moments of distress, we then turn around and don't trust God, but trust self. We look after self rather than looking after God, looking after others, looking after his work. Does that make sense? But if you put God first, if you learn that discipline now in the easy times when that day comes, my friends, and if God says it is time to walk away because you have developed a bank account of experience, Experiences, you'll be able to say, I can leave that. I can walk. You know why? Because my bread and water will be sure. That's what God wants. Unshakable faith. Play some music for me, brother. Play some music. See? We got to make some decisions. 
how many here, when place your CV comes up to God, and that CV comes up and says, it's your turn. There's no debate between you and God. The debate is between God and Satan. And the Lord says, have you not seen my servant? CVs come up. And now God starts to test you. How will you fare? My friends, I'm certainly not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be yet. I, I don't think I'm still ready. I'm sure there are more, more trials coming. Five years of waiting for God to deliver. Almost lost everything and was prepared to. How many here want to pass their test and be declared unshakable and to be declared unshakable. But how many of us have been shaken and are not yet declared unshakable? Yeah, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there with you. I don't think I, in any way I have been declared unshakable, but to be part of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, those who keep the faith of Jesus, they are declared unshakable. I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. We just can't keep coming to camp meetings and hearing the word. We must declare, my friends, that when we're going through this trial, Lord, we've got to hold on no matter what and say, Lord, take me through this so that I may be declared unshakable in your eyes. So let us pray. Father God, as a church, we're not where we want to be. We are not yet declared unshakable. Because Lord, you bring the trials and tribulations our way. Not to harm us, not to destroy us. But sometimes to simply test. Do we have a contract faith? That is a faith that will only worship you when things go well. Or do we have the kind of faith that irrespective of our circumstances, our faith will still look up to thee? The kind of faith that will still worship you. The kind of faith, O oh Lord, that recognizes that you can hold on to us even though sometimes we may struggle to hold on to you. The kind of faith, O oh Lord, that when it is done, you can declare us unshakable. Lord, we want to get there. We need to get there. We want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I don't care about the 144,000, Lord. I just want to be in that number that no man could number. And if I'm the last one to get in, Lord, just help me and my family to get in. But I know, Lord, for the church, for all of us, there's still a ways to go.
There's still a bit of a journey to go. There's still some trials. There's still some tribulations. There's still some disappointments. There's still some valleys. There's still some mountains that we will have to climb. But Jesus, you have told me in your word that since you are with us, you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. And Jesus, I'm simply asking you to keep us in the palm of your hand so that when you come in your glory, bright and splendor, when you break the clouds, and we are raised from the dead and we say free at last free at last thank God almighty we are free at last you can declare us unshakable this is my prayer in Jesus name amen